Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the Message Trust. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing, check out our website, message.org.uk. Great, okay, have a seat everyone. So let me read some, uh, the next little bit of uh, Galatians, Galatians chapter 3 verse 15 and um, probably, um, like me, as I, I read these words, uh, you'll be thinking, hmm, what's Andy going to get out of that? <laughs> and, uh, but of course, once you start mining the scriptures, once you start reading the commentaries and praying, God's got so much for us. I mean, this book is so delicious, and I hope, I hope you get, you know, a fraction for what I got, just the encouragement, just pressing in and just reflecting on our just amazing salvation that we enjoy. So, okay, Galatians 3, verse 15. Um, Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established. So it is in this case, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say unto seeds, meaning many people, but unto your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. I had a really encouraging weekend in so many ways. Uh, On on Saturday, I I went to visit a a guy in hospital, a friend of mine's brother, who's in really bad shape. He's an alcoholic. Three and a half years ago, he, he stopped drinking, but um, his liver, which, I mean, liver has a remarkable uh, ability to recover, but his liver was so completely shot that this young, youngish man, 41, is on death's door. And when I heard that, I'm like, I really want to go and visit this guy. And uh, I want to introduce him to Jesus. And I want to pray for healing, but I want to... Uh, into, and and uh, so you're going into the hospital and dancing around. How's it going, mate? It's a chat about football, but all the time you want to talk about Jesus. And, uh, and uh, I, I, so I'm sort of chatting to the guy. He says, oh, so how's it going, Andy? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm still doing the message thing. And oh, remember the Worldwide Message Tribe and la, la, la. And then he goes, and, oh, and I really need God in my life, you know, and I really need God. And, and for the next 10 minutes, just poured out. And I, I look at the flowers and I think of God. And I, I look at that fruit bowl and I just think of God. Isn't God amazing? And, uh, and I'm like, mate, you can know God personally. And you can be sure that you go to heaven and he can be with you and help you. And uh, yes, I'm going to pray for healing. But the biggest miracle you need, is that what you want? Yes, I do, Andy. Oh, wow. And so, and, and, uh, and he, he's, 
his brother-in-law sat there, are you sure this is what you want? And I'm like, are you sure? He said he's sure. And he says, I don't care if, and the guy says, I don't care if everybody in the ward hears me. I want to pray and I want to ask Jesus into my life. So I had the privilege of praying for this man and leading him to Jesus. A beautiful thing, precious thing. And in some ways, a guy who's, you know, thoroughly wasted his life and lost everything, but actually is now rich, massively rich. And uh, who knows, and, you know, still praying for healing and recovery and all that, but whatever happens, he's safe. And so that was Saturday. Sunday, I went into Thorncross Prison, and what a beautiful work's happening there. Um, and just wonderful to pray with men who were just absolutely so thoroughly messed up and I, I had a, a great conversation and prayed with the guy who stood up public to give his life to Christ who heavy duty drug dealer snorting 400 pounds a day of, of uh, drugs up his nose <laughs> and literally so broken so messed up that he went to the police station and said here's, here's my cannabis farms Here's all, all the drugs I've been dealing. Here's, here's, here's a list of, here's why you need to lock me up because I can't, I can't, I can't set myself free from drugs. I'm so, and the police officer, well, I, you know, I can do an arrest warrant and we'll go through the court, but I can't arrest you. And so the guy said, if you don't arrest me, I'm going to kill myself. So they, they put him on remand and, and they arrested him there and then for his own safety. And then there's this guy, a few months later in chapel giving his life to Jesus and hope is coming and forgiveness is coming. And, you know, that, that guy is with all his cannabis farms and all his drug dealing. What a nightmare for our city. What a horrible, what a horrible man, actually, in previous, until Jesus steps in. But what a gospel that can, it's not about our performance, is it? It's not about our track record. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus, isn't it? And uh, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so I was so encouraged. You know, you could say, oh, those men are too bad. They've done too many bad things. Except the gospel doesn't say that. Except we all are. <laughs> and uh, I deserve hell just as much as them. But I don't get hell, I get heaven. And so here in Galatians chapter 3, Paul is determined to get that message over. He's determined to get the message of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone and it's for everybody and anybody and it doesn't depend on our performance past present or future it depends on Jesus perfect performance and for Paul this is like a big deal right this is like massive deal because of course Paul perhaps more than uh, most people understood the heavy burden of trying to please God through their own efforts, their own performance, didn't he? He was, a, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And so the Pharisees had this, the Ten Commandments, didn't they? In the Old Testament that they held as the way to God. You got that slide? The Ten Commandments given to Moses. And if you can just keep this in, in heart and spirit and truth, you can please God and you can be right with God. And except nobody can, of course. Especially when we look at Jesus' interpretation and exposition of the Ten Commandments. But for the Pharisees, that wasn't enough. It's like, surely there must be more to that than pleasing God. So they mined the Old Testament and came up with 613 different laws in the Old Testament. All stuff in the Bible and said, okay, well maybe if we can just fulfil all this lot. 
and this, 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 and on it goes. If we can just do all this, maybe we can please God. If we can just stop at number 366. Just keep going, Daniel. They are 366, because I thought 365, actually. What deep trouble Daniel Eduardo would be in if we were, if we were still in the old law, am I right? Have anybody seen the pictures of his stag night? A man shall not wear women's clothing. Well, I've seen that six foot seven man. It's a horrible sight. But, but it doesn't stop there. Just keep going. Here it is. Oh, yeah, if we can just maybe, if we can just... And so the Pharisees would learn all these laws. And, but then that wasn't enough. So beyond the 613, they'd mined out of the Old Testament every last little detail, any last little rule. Suddenly they would then start to bring what they called the madrath, which is actually, yes, but we need to say what exactly does it mean? So for example, uh, keep the Sabbath holy, which is one of those laws, one of those 613 laws. The Pharisees created 39 separate categories of what you could do and couldn't do on the Sabbath. But 39 subcategories beyond for that one law out of the 613 wasn't enough. So that then there are thousands more subcategories. So including how many steps you can take. You, know, you can do this many steps, but not that many steps if you're going to keep the Sabbath holy. Including how many letters you can write to keep the Sabbath holy and not keep... You know, what does it mean to not work on the Sabbath? To the nth degree, thousands and thousands, and even today, some religious Jews are adding to the madrath still adding more and more heavy burdens. This is what we've got to do to please God. And this is with the culture Paul lived in. And he would have learned many of those thousands of rules and he would have known the heavy burden and he would have known that all it does is make you angry and bitter and resentful and more and more religious and it doesn't work. And then Paul came to freedom in Christ. And he realised that Jesus said, uh, at best, I'll give you two rules. Here's Jesus. Matthew 22. So imagine, imagine in this culture, in this heavy religious culture, imagine strong Jews. They all knew about all the rules. They were all trying, depending on how holy and spiritual you are, the more serious you got about following the thousands and thousands and thousands of rules and, and Jesus comes along and, and somebody asks him, so, you know, what does it look like to fulfill all these rules? And how can anybody do it? And Jesus just said, love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. All the law, all the prophets hang on these two commandments. Just love God and love other, love other people. Job done. <laughs> Don't you love Jesus? Imagine what it must have been like for Paul. You can't be serious. Just give my whole life to this heavy rules game and it doesn't work. And so when Paul sniffed any of that coming back, you know, he's suddenly in freedom now, free in Christ. It's all about what Christ did, not about my performance. It's about his perfect performance. The only holy man who's ever lived and his perfect death on a cross and his perfect resurrection. That's what my salvation hangs on, not all this other stuff. Anybody glad? And so Paul, as soon as he sniffs any of that religious stuff coming back into the church, he gets hot under the collar. 
You could see it coming back after getting off to such a blistering start in Acts chapter 2. You know, the start of the church of Jesus, as the spirit was poured out, as the gospel was preached by these men, men who were previously boxed in and had their little church where they were, they were praying and they were preaching, but they weren't changing the world. They were locked up in fear. Do you not think that's a picture of the church sometimes? Locked up in fear. Yes, we're praying. Yes, we're preaching. But we're not really changing the world. And then the spirit comes and suddenly down the steps, out into the marketplace, 3,000 people saved in the power of the spirit and a beautiful church formed that was defined by all the believers having everything in common and defined by the Lord adding daily to their number those who were being saved. Perfect picture of the church. And suddenly though, just a few years later, the split happened. Instead of one church in Galatia, there were two. There was the free, uncircumcised Gentile church of Jesus. And then there was the Judaizers church with the rules creeping back in. And Paul's like, no. And I'm, don't you think heaven's been like, no. You know, 2,000 years later, 40,000 denominations later, here we are. And Paul says, no, please, it's all about grace. It's not about our own efforts. For really I'm saved and sanctified by Christ's performance and not my own. What a beautiful thing. Yeah, of course, there's bound to be a question around that, especially from the the rules posse, the guys who've been brought up with all this, and then they discovered Christ, and then they're pulling it back towards rules. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Before they know it, they'll have, you know, 527 of the 16 and the 13 rules in their church in Galatia. And uh, big question, I think. And I guess it's a question you've got when you hear about grace. It's all about grace. It's about what he did. It's not just my salvation that's about grace. It's about my sanctification. That's what we learned last week, wasn't it? It's not even, you know, not even my day-to-day walk is down to my efforts. It's down to his grace. I can never even please God day-to-day without his grace and his intervention. It's all about him. But if I'm really saved and sanctified by Christ's performance, not my own, why should I strive to live a good life? Do we even have an obligation to? Or is it all down to what Jesus stood? In other words, what's my... What's my relationship and your relationship? Christ followers, this side of the cross and resurrection to God's law. You know, God gave us his law. He went to great effort to write his law through men and women of God. He brought that to the people. Do we even have an obligation to it? Every other question you've got around what can you do or what can't you do as a Christian? You know, can I have sex with my girlfriend or maybe not? Uh, how far can I go or... Can I drink and take drugs? Uh, well, uh, maybe drink, but uh, not too much. Uh, can, you know, uh, how, what should I spend my money on? Or, or how do I treat other people? Especially how do I treat the poor? Any question you've got about lifestyle and disciplines all comes back, all stems from what your relationship to the law is. This side of the cross, when I've put my trust in Jesus... See, Paul makes a point and starts to answer this big question by first telling us what the law isn't. He says this, and uh, 
I actually prefer the RSV for this Galatians 3 verse 15. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to the human covenant, in the NIV it says that no one will annul a will. Because actually the human covenant, literally in the original language, is a will, you know, a legal will, last will and testament. And in Paul's day, a will had, especially amongst the Greeks, had far greater weight. Once it had been signed, there was no going back. Once you'd been to a lawyer and agreed what you were going to do with your estate after you died, there was no going back. Regardless of how circumstances changed. So Paul says, just as once you've got a, a will, you can't change it. He says, God has brought the promise through Abraham. And it can't be changed. We are people of promise, aren't we? We're people who have this awesome promise that was given to Abraham right at the start, way back in Genesis chapter 12, that you'll be blessed and you'll be a blessing to the whole world. And through one of your offspring, the whole world will be blessed through the Saviour coming through your line. It was hundreds of years before the law came, after that promise. There's a promise. The whole world is going to be blessed, and it's going to be blessed through a saviour. Thousands of years previous, that was promised. A glorious salvation promise. And as a result, we get salvation, sanctification, eternal life. As a result of what Jesus did, we're saved, saved, saved. Not because of our performance, but because of his promise to bless them. It's like a last will and testament. There's no going back. And it's not any old man, it's not a lawyer doing it, it's God signing it in his son's blood. Salvation for us. So God had guaranteed on his holy, unshakable word of honour that he would bless the world. So Paul's saying the law being introduced could never do away with that promise. He's like, I want to bless the world through my son. I want to step in and intervene in history. And all these rules and regulations aren't to earn your way back to God. So what are they about? What is it all about? All those hundreds of rules. You see, it wasn't like the Pharisees had made up the first 1613. They'd made up the next 72,000 they came up with. The first 613 were all in the book. They are there if you want to dig. And obviously it takes some interpretation to say how relevant they are, but they are all in the book. So what are they there for? What's the point of all these rules that people get so hot under the collar? And some people say, well, I'm not really an Old Testament Christian. I'm a red letter Christian. You know, I'm a Jesus Christian. But Jesus, the trouble is, in his red letters said, I didn't do away with one little bit of the law. I've not come to abolish that. I've come to fulfill it. I've come to help you to understand what it was there for. You see, Paul tells us the point of the Old Testament law was because of our transgressions. The point of the Old Testament law is never to earn our way back to God. It's to show us we're lawbreakers. So we hold ourselves up to God's standard and every one of us, whether our name's Adolf Hitler or Mother Teresa, falls short. You know, we could never be good enough on that perfect standard. It's to prove we can't do it to ourselves. Have you ever been in um, Next or H&M? And there's one of those mirrors there. And suddenly, it reveals all your wobbly bits. <laughs> Anybody had that experience? Now, of course, most of you haven't because you're beautiful and perfectly formed young people. But if your name's Andy Hawthorne, you know, you're thinking, oh, I'm looking good, and then I take my shirt off. Oh. <laughs> I'm thinking, perhaps this skin-tight top won't do today, then. <laughs> 
But you know, they're like the mirror of the H&M. For some reason, why they do that, full-length mirrors in those, uh, those changing rooms, I do not know. Because they show up every imperfection. Is it just me? Or anybody else had that experience? It's horrible, isn't it? Who? Who's that? Oh, it's me. <laughs> and uh, in some ways, that's a picture of the law. It just shows up every imperfection. Shines a light on how actually ugly we are and out of shape. Of course you're not. Me. <laughs> it just shows us what we're really like. It's a mirror. And we compare ourselves to the perfect law and we realise we could never get back to God on our own. Any of our attempts, even the most religious Pharisee, can never obey all this lot in spirit and truth. And it makes us realise how hopeless we are without Christ, the only way back. Look at verse 21. What a fascinating verse that is, don't you think? God never intended that the law should bring life. In fact, he goes even further. What a funny verse. Verse 21. Is the law fair, therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if the law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would have certainly come by the law. Verse 22. But the scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. Here's the purpose of the law, the Old Testament law. It's to show us we don't just fall short that we are completely hopeless. The scripture's purpose, I wonder what, you know, if you said, let's do a little survey. What's the purpose of the scriptures? Well, it's uh, to bring life. It's God's love letter. It's a, a manual for living. It's God's holy word. But you wouldn't say the purpose of the scripture is to to show us that we're imprisoned under sin's power. But Paul says, key purpose of the scripture is to show us that we are imprisoned under sin's power. We are people who are locked up. We're needing a rescuer. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. That's why the, the men at Thorncross Prison who stood up, all sorts of terrible, wicked things they'd done. We're in a great place because they knew a rescuer. I was so touched actually at prayer day in the ministry time at the end. You know, and it was quite a hardcore, I thought, response that Gavin Calvary. If you've got something that's really holding you back, really needing a breakthrough area of your life, you're really struggling and it wasn't a little thing, go for ministry. And I thought, I love this team that they're so soft. It's not about what people think of me. It's about what Jesus thinks. I want to be right. And as long as you're in that place, coming to Dr. Jesus, saying I'm not healthy, but I need a doctor, you'll be okay. It's only when we start to think we can do it on our own that we're stuffed. You understand what I'm saying there? So Paul says the purpose of the scripture was that, to show us that we're imprisoned and under sin's power and we're needing a rescuer. If only people could see that. Not just in prison actually, but on death row. Locked up in sin. And we have got the keys to set them free. It's the message of the cross and the resurrection. It's, it's, the, it's the offer of free grace through faith alone in Christ alone. We've got that key to set them free. What are we doing keeping it to ourselves? How can we even think about keeping it to, them, to ourselves when there's so many people, all they need is us to bring the key that can unlock the prison that's leading them to death row for all eternity and we've got the key. How can we keep it to ourselves? Anybody seen Dunkirk? What a great film that is. Well recommended. Brilliant film. But I love the picture of Dunkirk, this rescue mission. 
and it's all hands on deck. Hundreds of thousands are going to die unless everybody pitches in. And suddenly it's not about the size of your vessel or how well resourced you are. There's just people who need rescuing. So every boat in sight, little rowing boats, steamers, fishing trawlers, everything is going across the channel on this rescue mission to rescue almost 400,000 men. But it's not just rescuing them. There's a war for our nation going on here. Unless we rescue these people, the nation is going to the dogs. Don't you think there's a lot of pictures going on? Especially when King George had called a, a national day of prayer. And all these people on the back of it didn't just sit in the churches praying. They went out on the rescue mission. They pitched in. And what a beautiful picture. And instead of this catastrophic military disaster, it was a turning point in the whole war. If God's people could get gripped by the gospel of free grace. So it's not about the size of my church. It's not even about my church. My church is just a rescue vessel. I'm not meant to be a pleasure cruiser. I'm meant to be a lifeboat going out there. And it's not about the size of it. There's hundreds of thousands, millions of people who are lost without Christ. Are you with me in this? We've got to do something. We've got to do more. And that's what the message trust is all about. So the promise that was brought to Abraham was this. You'll be blessed and you'll be a blessing to the whole world. Through your seed, the one man, Christ, the whole world will be blessed. Not just the whole world be blessed. The whole world be blessed to be a blessing. The promise is not just for us that we'll be these people who receive the grace of God through faith in Christ. But we'll respond to that grace. We won't be arguing about how far you can go as a Christian in this area, in that area. We'll be charging each other and challenging each other to live ever more holy lives. To just please Jesus and honour him. And we won't be weird people bound up in rules and condemnation. We'll just be alive people. Yeah. We, we, the, the argument won't be how far you can go as a Christian. It'll be how far you can go in pursuing Christ and pursuing the loss for him. Because we've been gripped by grace. We'll cooperate with the Holy Spirit. In the second part of the, of the, the promise, you'll be a blessing. Maybe you've heard me say this before, but I think it bears repeating, especially today in light of this passage Ephesians 2, classic grace verses. But listen to this, next book in the Bible. This is what Paul said to the Ephesian church. Ephesians 2 verse 4, maybe stick it up if you can. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by, it's by grace you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What do we say? Hallelujah. Yeah. Oh, that's us. That's who we are. We're the grace people, our only hope. But what's the very next verse? After Ephesians 4 to 9, lavish grace. The very next verse is, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, we're not just blessed. We are enormously blessed. We're blessed to be a blessing. 
You received two great gifts on the day you were saved. Through, only through the grace of Jesus. You received salvation. You go into heaven because you reached out to Jesus. And nothing can stop that. Because it's not based on your performance. It's based on his per- performance. Not by works. As if, as if we could do it through works. But by his amazing extravagant grace. So you received the gift of salvation. You also received the gift of good works. Good works planned in advance for you to do. James, you've got good works. And I can't do your good works, only you can. When God made you, he threw away the mold. Meg, you've got good works. Planned in advance. There's never going to be another Meg in all history. There's never going to be your good works that God's designed for you to do. And the day you were saved, heaven was like, yes, we're going to see Meg's good works now. We're going to see what a life looks like that responds to grace by good works. We're set apart for these high and holy purposes. You're not just called, you've got a calling. You know that, don't you? Daniel, you've got a calling. There's a calling on your life. The day you were saved, you were called into heaven, called into a relationship with Jesus, but placed on your life was a calling. And the great adventure of life is to fulfill that calling. And nothing can satisfy like fulfilling our calling. Nothing can satisfy like pouring out the life of blessing that we're meant to be. I'm telling you, we chase after possessions, we chase after experience. The only thing that can really satisfy is following Jesus and and chasing after him and discovering our calling and pouring out the good works. There's nothing like the deep, deep satisfaction you gain from that. Does anybody know what I mean by that? Nothing else can satisfy Why do we chase after so many other things? And the reason I choose to live right is in response to God's grace because I'm gripped by the cross that Jesus did that for me and he did what was necessary but also because I want to be a blessing to the world and I can't be a blessing to the world running around a stupid, sinful, messed up life living the old life. I may grind my way miserably to heaven But I'm never going to live the life I'm meant to be here. I'm never going to take the people with me here. And myself and Tom were in there in the office. Five to ten, I want us to just pray about this. But um, in the office, and we were like dreaming a little bit about 2020. And we're thinking, oh, if we could, you know, maybe do hires in every region. And maybe maybe the other youth agencies are pitching. And and the other, maybe we could partner. And maybe got 500 evangelists. And you know what Tom said? Tom said, Maybe that's how we'll get to our 200,000, Andy. Imagine being in heaven and there's 200,000 young people that we've won for Jesus as part of the good week works God planned in advance. Imagine if those 200,000 people are disciples and change culture and go on their own rescue missions. Some have got great big liners, others have got little rowing boats, but we're all rescuing together. Imagine it. Anybody feel excited by that thought? So let's stand together and let's just pray, God, help us to be people in response to your grace who go on this great rescue mission. And again, and I felt like, you know, after Urban Heroes, we, we kind of spoke it out. We're going to raise £250,000. And we prayed into it and God gave us a plan. And then somehow we pulled it off. Yeah. I, you know, it was the Lord. We had no right to think we could raise two and a half times what we've ever raised before at Urban Heroes. But God gave us a vision and a plan. And a small plan, really, compared to 200,000 disciples. But then I thought, maybe it was the Lord. And maybe God's going to help us in the next few years to get to that place. And what a party we'll have in heaven. 
when we're with all those young people who come to Christ in this next season. I'd just like us to pray into that before yeah. we finish. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support or even get involved with one of our teams. 